It's Chris and Buddy. This is Death Metal Dicks. This week, we are diving into one of the hottest subjects in entertainment culture right now. Theodore Robert Bundy, Ted Bundy, who was a serial murderer, rapist, burglar, kidnapper, necrophiliac, narcissist, psychopath. This is uh, as extreme as you can go. Some would say this is the most infamous serial killer in American history. Guess it depends on how you look at infamous or not infamous. One thing's for sure, disgusting, deplorable human being, very easy to hate. And I guess if you like the way he looks, could have been easy to love. Yeah. This is just a classic case of not judging a book by its cover. I guess. We're going to talk all about it in the next three episodes of Death Metal. Felt like a good one. Yo, Ted Bundy. It's hot right now. I looked at a Vice thing a second ago that said, uh, said, uh, you got to stop talking about Ted Bundy. He's a narcissistic asshole and this is what he wanted. I mean, meanwhile, you're posting a Vice article about Ted Bundy. However, uh, I didn't know that that shit was coming out on Netflix this week. It just Mm -hmm. so happened to coincide. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you heard us four weeks ago say like, yo, this is what we're about to do. Uh, and then there's also the movie coming out with Zac Efron and James Hetfield, which looks badass. Yeah. So, look, here's how I feel about serial killers, and especially since it's something that we do, or murderers or terrible crimes and talking about them. Um, does it give them the attention that they wanted? Well, it's a fair point. Perhaps it does. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the thing about Ted Bundy, for instance, though, is that he was not proud of what he did. He didn't like people talking about it. Yeah. At the end, I mean, he wanted to. He liked. He liked being in the media. Uh-huh. He liked the attention, but not for this. He yeah. never, ever admitted to any of the crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you've watched the, and I also thought that the net, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix did a great job. Yeah, you know, I don't like most true crime documentaries. In fact, that's a lot of the reason why we started doing this is just because like the serious droll yeah. overtones and the way that they portray certain things that leave like up in the air. Like, is this a good person or just something went wrong in their life or is it the pure incarnation of evil? Like I'm, t- I'm sick yeah. of that shit. So this is a lot of the reason why we did our own thing, but I thought this one was really good. They've, they've d- hammered it home that uh, Ted Bundy is like a, a classic narcissist. His entire life, he lied cheated, snuck through the system, made himself look a certain way from a young age all the way to the end. Uh And, you know, one of the cool things to see is I had had, uh, I had had his biography, you know, my, my big peak in the serial killers was I was, and I was talking to uh, Andy who helps us out with the research this last week. I had a teacher in high school who was like a, a punk dude that he was in a bunch of like local bands and shit. And uh, he was a, he had like Carl Panzram tattoo. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know who it was, but he gave me that the Panzram book, which is a murderer journal of a killer, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And that's the first one I read, and that's by far the best. And you could tell a lot of things are over exaggerated because it's like in his own, in Carl Panzram's own words. Well, he's a narcissist. And yeah, he's a narcissist, dude. But you know. Similarities between Panzram and Bundy are, are pretty pretty well there, except yeah. for like Panzram is like out in the open about the terrible things that he does. Yeah. Bundy tries to cloak it in and make it seem like it's this conspiracy against him. But where they do have common lines at is that they've gone so far off into their own world, the horrible things that they're doing are not wrong. Yeah. To them. And that's the thing with Ted Bundy before we get into, I mean, we're going to, you know, the first episode, we're basically going to go through what got him to this point. The second episode, we'll go through the brunt of the murders. And third episode, we'll go through the legality of it all, which is absolutely insane because, you know, Ted Bundy represented himself. He had some of the most outrageous outbursts in, in the courts that you've ever seen in your life. It's exciting from top to bottom, and I'm always fascinated to see where people got started. And really with Ted Bundy, um, he doesn't have a lot of the... Like, Panzram had a horrible fucking life. 
Yeah. Abused, beaten, which I, you got to assume also with Bunny that something had to have happened somewhere. But on paper and in his own words, which he's, again, a, a well-documented fucking liar, this didn't really have that much trauma in his life okay. to, to get him going. But um, the point being at the Panzeram Bundy comparison that I wanted to get to is Panzeram was off in his own world. And he knew that killing people was wrong, but he had had it all justified out in his own mind that he had his own code of morals, his own set way of living that he stuck to. So if he was living by the code that he had made for himself, he wasn't breaking his own law. Therefore, no matter what, if he was doing what he wanted to do by his code, he was in the right. Now, Ted Bundy was so gone into his own world that he didn't even register the things that he was doing as him doing them. So when he did go and ta- and talk about the murders, he did it all in third person. Mm-hmm. He didn't say he never one time to anyone, media, family, uh police officers, lawyers, confidants, anyone ever say, I did this. I think a lot of that was, he. May, he I don't know if he necessarily felt guilty about it. I, I think the compulsion to kill, he, he was definitely a sex addict. Yeah. I, I think, you know. I don't think, I, I, he didn't feel guilty about it at all. Like I say, yeah. I, I think that, I think. And, he just uh, wanted to get out and do it We'll again. talk more, exactly. Yeah. And uh, there's some surprise twists that'll that'll make you understand that, yes, he did want more than anything to get out and do it again. But I think that he was uh, completely, 100% detached from um, from the crimes. And, it, you know, he, he didn't ever, ever, even ever tell his mom. His mom um, was told by the, the his biographer, who, again, he, he read it all to in third person, yeah. that he had committed these crimes and that Ted basically admitted to it, but it's still, he's, he's, he's saying like he is admitting to it in a way, but he's, he is not able to say I did this. Uh He says, well, if somebody killed someone, what he would have done is, and then like the first time he breaks out of jail, he refers to himself. He's like, I was tired of being in prison. I wanted to get out. I wanted to be free. I wanted to experience that. Uh, and then when he goes back into any crimes, it's back to he. Yeah. He would have done this. This is how he did it, you know? And uh, I just find the but that I just wanted to, to talk about before we get into it. It's important to know, like, we don't celebrate anybody. But, you know, you may have heard on, like, the, the, the Jeffrey Dahmer episode. Like, I, I give no praise to any serial killer ever, ever. <clears throat> but in, like, the Dahmer episode, you know, it's it, you feel you don't feel bad for him considering the crimes. But you can understand with like a Jeffrey Dahmer that he didn't really he didn't know what was going on. He yeah. he was so far out in in his mind uh, again like these guys, but just on a whole other spectrum of uh, this is my life, this is what I do, this is regular, and nobody caught him. He he basically felt like he had superpowers, which I think that Ted Bundy feels the same way because he got away with shit for a long time, and he thought he was never going to get caught. He thought that he was better and above everything else. I absolutely fucking hate Ted Bundy because he's super smug. Uh, he reminds me of every super rich person I've ever been around where they have, they have like a version of themselves that to, to do business deals or interact with people of their same level. They, they create this character like an avatar that they put out in front of people. You know what I'm saying? You like if we if you got drunk with a super rich person, they they're usually like, man, I'm so glad to to turn this thing off and cut loose with you. Yeah. I can't normally be like this. I hate that type of person, and he did it to the extreme. Several times in his life, he manufactured a brand new personality to be this clean cut Republican, upstanding young person, uh, over and over again, just to make sure that he fit in with wherever he was at. It was just camouflage. Yeah. It's just what you do when you hunt. You wear camouflage. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even before, like, even before he was committing murders or, or doing anything violent, he made a suit for himself to wear. He wanted to be a rich fucking politician, and he made the, he gave himself that appearance and consciously told himself, if you want to do this, you have to act this way. And uh, I just I get that vibe from a lot of super rich people and a lot of salesmen, and it fucking grosses me out. I don't like that type of person, and Ted Bundy is the most of that yeah. type of person. Okay. Ted Bundy would have been, 
Had he not murdered and he wasn't a politician or lawyer, he would have been a multi-level marketing person. Yeah. He'd be selling you fucking life-changing diet pack subscriptions. Yeah. that He's that type of evil asshole. You know what I mean? So we could just start looking at uh, the, the top of his life. He was born Theodore Robert Cowell in Burlington, Vermont, uh, right Thanksgiving time, November 24th, 1946, to Eleanor Cowell. She was 22, unmarried, teenager, or I mean, not teenager, but, you know, 22 is super young to have an unwed kid in the 1940s. It's not like normal life. To, you know, people judge your character. Like, oh, you're having out-of-wedlock sexual relations, and you're yeah. going out of the town and partying. She's a freak. You're going to hell. You're doing, you're an abomination of God. So people look down on that. So, like, so many of young people in that age that had a kid out of marriage, they got sent to an unwed mother's home, which kept them out of the public eye. So their parents could just say something like, oh, they're sick with this. You don't see him for a long time. They go through their pregnancy and have the child there. Uh, his father, the mother believes was a salesman, an Air Force veteran, quite a bit older than her, named Lloyd Marshall. That's whose name is on the birth certificate, but later Louise said it was a sailor with the same last name out of Worthington, uh, the last name of Worthington. Um, so, you know, if you're just wiling out, I guess that's like a military port. So yeah. hard to know, uh, uh, but this this would greatly affect Ted in the future, not yeah. knowing who his dad is. Which well, like, his I'm dad a, was the guy that invented Worthington's Originals. Uh, it's not even the same. It's, it's not even close family. to the same name. Worthington, yeah, and Worthers. Is it Worthers? Oh, those Worthingtons, whatever. No, Worthers Originals. It's a knockoff caramel candy. Yeah. Oh, the Worthington brand is just a different version of I it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, a lot of people um, that knew Ted closely after his adoption. Kind of figure that uh, Louise had a super. I mean, they don't figure. They know that Louise had a violent father. Apparently, she was beaten and abused by him, like on record. But again, in the 1940s, that's not the type of thing that it would be today. So there's no like super proper record of it. It's just you know family person to the person that he was a violent father, most likely uh, molested her. His name was Samuel Cal. There's no proof of maternal evidence, but you know. When that type of abuse happened back then, that's, I mean, like we talked about with Eileen Wuornos, mm-hmm. quite possibly impregnated by a family member, yeah. sent away to deal with it, so nobody really knows the exact origins. Uh, Eleanor's family, of course, in that time, super religious. Um, what did I fuck? Eleanor's family, super religious. They hate that she was pregnant because even if, no matter what the case was, it just shows something bad happened in the family. You don't want that type of embarrassment going on like we've been talking about. Um, He was raised the adopted son of his grandparents, and they told him that his mother was his sister, which I guess is easier to do because she's young. Um, Bundy, again. He's just half right. Well, every time... yeah. (laughs) Yeah, every time we reference something he says, you got to take it with a grain of salt. He says most of the time that he respected his grandparents. He identified with his grandfather, but in 1987, when they had a, a legal battle for like who raised Ted, basically, he claimed that his grandfather was a tyrannical bully and a bigot who hated, quote, blacks, Italians, Catholics, and Jews. Samuel beat his wife and swung neighborhood cats by their tails. Again, in common by Alain Wuornos. Abused animals, yeah. abused his family. Probably sexually abusive. Uh, one time, he threw Louise's younger sister Julia down a flight of stairs for oversleeping. Uh, he described his grandmother as timid and obedient, who underwent occasional electroconvulsive therapy for treatment of depression, and was horrified to leave her house. Which is such a fucking. I mean, they, you know, we're talking the 1940s. Yeah. So you go to the doctor and you're like, I just can't stop feeling bad. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, did you try reading the good word of God? You're like, I, I did that, yes. Corinthians 2-5. <laughs> did you go to church on Sunday and Wednesday? Yes, I did try that. Uh, well, going to write you a prescription. We're going to sit you down and shock the shit out of you for about 20 <laughs> minutes, and that will have you feeling good as new. <laughs> uh, Julie uh, Cal, Louise's sister, uh, told her uh, Ted's biographer, 
that she recalled waking up from a nap and being surrounded by kitchen knives as her three-year-old nephew, which was Ted, stood smiling at the door. Yeah. So basically she passed out. He put a, a setup of sharp knives around her like a fucking monument to what could happen to you. Yeah. And he was having a good old time with it. Well, yeah. The other thing, too, is if if uh, the grandfather got mom pregnant yeah, and they have an incest kid, that can uh, affect a lot of mental shit. You know, that, that can make you become a psychopath. Because incest shit's not... I mean, you ever seen one of them... I got some cats running around. I got a fuckload of cats running around my neighborhood. And they incest so, they're incest so much, there's five of them that are fucking cross-eyed. There's cross-eyed cats running around my neighborhood. They look like the kid from Dennis the Menace, the one that pops up whenever he gets in trouble and his eyes are all fucking crazy looking. One's going one direction, the other one's going up, yeah. the other one's going down. That kind of shit. And it just affects <laughs> you mentally. But it can do. It can have physical characteristics and mental characteristics. Sure. So, you know. <laughs> So it just made his all fucking cooped up. That's why he has a unibrow. They didn't get no cross eyes. He's, 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 he's fucking, got a brow from it, dude. Yeah. You got yeah, a brow and you got Unibrow's a bad look. I've seen, I'm not great on social media. <coughs> I pretty much just like post what I'm going to post and let that float off. But I've seen a lot of talk about women saying that, that Ted Bundy could fucking get it. Yeah. Lately. And he was, he, I know he was like a charming guy in his day and age, but I, you know, I'm not seeing it. Look, that yeah. unibrow is wild, son. Well, he's a strong jawline, you know. Yeah, he looks he looks smarmy to me. Yeah, he's not like yeah. he's not strong looking. Well, I'm just saying, like you know, it's got a it, there's like a physical characteristic of women. Look yeah, at a strong, strong jawline. jawline. They like that, but they're yeah. not looking up at the fucking plate of ramen noodles above his eyes <laughs> either. So. <laughs> that unibrow's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone fucking uh, let a slinky go down the stairs and it stopped right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that shit's insane, dude. Uh, yeah, so obviously Louise is having a hard time, and she really cares for Ted. She wants to be a good mom, so what she does uh, at her family's behest is change her last name from Cowell to Nelson, and then moves to Tacoma, Washington. They've got cousins there who are Alan and Jane Scott. In 1951, Eleanor meets and quickly marries Johnny Culpepper Bundy. That's a hilarious middle name. Culpepper. Oh, man, it's so Culpepper. You know when they, like, come over to America, when they pick middle na- like, last names, it's always, uh, like, what your trade was. Yeah. It, like, what your job was. That's how you get the name. So, what did this middle name come from? It was like, uh, uh, you know, I've been out here. I don't have very thick pants. Uh, my coal peppers are all shrunk up right now. <laughs> <laughs> or he's like a coal miner, but he had pepper in his teeth. Yeah. Like, come here, weird teeth. Let's show me. Yeah, uh, come on, old coal pepper. pepper. Yeah, weird fucking name. Uh, he was a hospital cook, and they met at the singles night in the local Methodist church. They go on to have four of their own children. Um, Johnny is supposedly a good stepdad. You know, he tries to include Ted, make him one of his own, yeah. one of the five kids that they had. And Ted just really never really liked Johnny, which I would think, in my opinion, no, I'm not an expert in any way, but the way... I would think a kid could pick up on the fact that um, his adoptive parents, his grandparents, were ashamed of the entire situation. Yeah. And there was turmoil in the house, for sure, with the abusive grandfather that was, you know, his quote-unquote dad at the time. Uh, this had to probably flip the switch in his head. For one, to not trust male role models. Yeah. Uh, for two, to... Uh, To not, um, what the fuck, what, what am I trying to say here? Like, he didn't really want a father. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he had no desire to have a dad in his life. Um, we're talking about online, too, that, like, what sparked Ted Bundy off. I think it's definitely, dude, his mom looks so fucking much like Richard Simmons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you, uh, hey, Mark, can you pull a picture up on YouTube for YouTube people to see his mom? Yeah, that's her. That's when she's older. There's one where she's, like, young. Dude, she looks just the fuck like Richard Simmons. And and also, speaking of Ted Bundy, like, not being great looking, he looks exactly like her. Yeah. I mean, so if you hit, if you would have hit Ted Bundy with an afro and some short shorts and a tank top uh, and fucking put on some goddamn oldies behind him, really, yeah, dude, he looks just like his mom. His mom also looks like Dr. Cornelius. 
from Planet of the Apes. She's got that type of weird bowl cut. And yo, he he had the unibrow the entire time. Yeah. Like, look, look, this is how you know a psychopath. Yeah. You have, where most people have two eyebrows, you have one. Now, you know there's ways to get rid of it, but you choose to ignore it. Yeah. Well, it makes you look like a Muppet. Yeah, I, I could, you can never trust a motherfucker with a unibrow. I mean, yeah. just trim that shit, bitch. Just fucking pluck it out. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> looking, she's looking rough right there in that picture. It looks like somebody roughed her up good. Yeah. Other well, thing, dude, she... Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you were talking about the father figure. He probably... Uh, a lot of times, if, if there was incest in this case, um, the father who got the daughter pregnant usually... Uh, treats the daughter like a whore, and like because yeah. he they're ashamed of what they did. You're right, you're right, so right. If, that makes sense. So if uh, Bundy feels that Ted feels that way about his mom too because of that, you know, imagine how he's going to treat women in the in the near future. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll get to it, but he he gets bummed out about. I mean, and also at the same time, again, I'm no expert, and I don't know what your life is like, but I would figure like okay, you're a stepdad. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your children know their father. Yeah. And they they understand your relationship to their mother yeah. and to them. Yeah. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know how to. I'm trying to think back to my life because I was yeah. raised by my grandparents, but my mom was around a little bit until uh, I was like five. Yeah. And then disappeared and then kind of came back a little bit when I was like eight. Yeah. And they always they never they always told me that, that was my mom, you know. And I started to wonder about a dad and shit. Yeah. Uh, but the, everyone was pretty open with me, so like I, did, I had a lot of resentment and things for sure. Yeah. However, um, nothing like this. So I don't I don't I don't maybe it's better to be forthright with even a young child. Yeah. And don't keep it a secret because uh, if somebody has problems that they can't rationalize their family situation. It's going to come up and be a big deal to them. Well, I would. resenting people in that situation, whether it's grandparents or stepparents, that's normal. I mean, my job, for instance, you know, a lot of kids resent me when they first come in because I'm kind of a step-in father during that time period they're there. So they're, yeah. you know, showing showing their ass as much as they can and yeah. throwing shit at each other, getting in fights. You're not my goddamn dad. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I had somebody call me a hunchbacked fuck the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are that. <laughs> I fucking laugh so hard, man. That is what you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like I said, Johnny tries to be a good dad, and Ted never really took to Johnny. In fact, he said that he wasn't very smart, wasn't very bright. He didn't make much money. So he didn't like that about him. He he never liked that. He he thought that he you know he had a meek job. He really wanted him to go out in the world and uh, and try to do more. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he, the guy never really did. And some people are just happy with what they do. They don't need an extra yeah. cause. Like the guy was a family man. Uh, Bundy says that during his childhood he felt lonely. And again, he's back and forth on shit. So uh, one of the first interviews that he that he gave, he roamed the neighborhood as a loner. He would look through everyone's trash can for pictures of naked women. Any pornography he could find, he would take. And then later, he says, as he got older, that pursued into an interest in in pulp magazines like crime novels, uh, detective magazines, and he would, any documentary he could find about sexual violence, especially if he could find a, a projector movie for like a school or some shit with dead or maimed bodies. He loved yeah. that. Um the first biographer, the the original biography that I read was written by Ann Rule. That was the first person, because he knew her, that he gave a, like a full scope interview to. He claimed that he never liked Detective Magazines in this when he was talking to her. And uh, he would she would she he would get upset that anyone would enjoy something like that. Yeah. That if they liked true crime, they'd be an animal. Because he, he had a, like periods when he was in lock up that he was really on his fucking high horse Mm -hmm. and like he was a definite republican conservative he didn't like uh in the 60s you know he hated the the free love movement yeah and and like people protesting the war he thought that they should all be at work do like pursuing their own lives getting their shit together um so he's always had that type of which is so feel like he needs like they're willfully breaking the law which is hilarious to hear from someone yeah. that broke the law in the most heinous ways possible. Well, yeah, and the thing is, is a lot of those like super 
tight ass Republicans are fucking freaks, man. Oh yeah, it's always to hide something. Yeah. It, look, anytime somebody overcompensates for anything, yeah. they're always trying to hide something. And I'm not saying all Republicans are like that, but no. the ones that are like over the top. Well, with yeah, it, that's exactly. Know, I mean, fucking, I, yeah, I was driving that home. Like yeah. anytime someone's got a way extreme way of being, they they, they want to be something to get away. Like like me, for instance. You know, I started getting tattoos when I was super young just to like, because I had like a real shitty home situation. Yeah. And it just felt like uh, I'll look like a fucking adult who's beyond childhood and, and like a more inflated sense of fucking grown man behind it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, like when I was getting them, it wasn't a decision that I made, but it's easy to look back and, and know where I was mentally and be like, yeah, that's definitely why. Yeah, I started doing just to be a fucking grown ass man, and and you know did a lot of dumb shit based on that. So, you know anyone that can look back at mistakes they made and, and crazy shit they did and, and pinpoint it, you're better off to just deal with it like that as opposed to being like Ted and trying to swiggle and swaggle. Then that, that's a lot of why he got detached from reality. I mean, a lot of what he goes back and says in biographies, I think is that he felt shame at the time for doing shit like looking at porn, yeah. looking at crime magazines, looking at any any fucking beat-up body that he could. Like, actively searching for that, yeah. I bet he felt a lot of shame for it at the time. And also, when he got older and was trying to mold himself into this conservative character, he knew that was not something that fit into that image. So he detached himself from that. Yeah. And that's where... I think the split started to happen. Well, you look at a porn addiction, for instance. A lot of <laughs> a lot of people that are addicted to porn, they have an un. I don't understand that. What un, is it, what's addicted to porn? Ted Bundy. It was unreal expectation of what women could do for pleasure and, and things like that, and what they could take, and they could take a beating, and they could do all the shit. And he he has a, to separate that. A lot of people when they have to hide it from their wives. Yeah. They don't. Their wives don't know they're looking at porn until they get busted for it. And then they're like, "Oh shit!" Like. They said, I didn't know you had this kind of a problem. This is what you expect me to do. That's why their sex life starts to fall apart. Mm. And they can't have any real, like, meaningful relationships when it comes to sex or anything like that. So, Yeah, well, he was never going to find anybody. Yeah, but his was a way (laughs) deep, darker fucking problem. Yeah, this shit's bananas. Well, you know, a lot of it. He also tried to, you know, also could never accept blame for anything that he did and would later, which we'll, we'll get to again in part three. He would later try to blame the entire thing on porn, which is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that plays into a lot of the porn thing with Ted Bundy. But yeah, I, I think he just felt shame over what he was doing at the time. He was like a peeping Tom. Uh, and also everyone around him that knew him as a child, he was great at stealing shit because he didn't feel guilt and remorse over it. So if he stole some shit and then got confronted about it, he didn't have any fear. So when someone asked him if he stole it, he could bold face tell people no at a young age and get away with it. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, you if, if you catch your kid in some shit right now mm-hmm. and they're like six, seven years old and you confront them on it, they'll buckle right away. Oh, you yeah. can tell right away that they're fucking trying to hide something. But he didn't have that. You know, which uh, that's just his mental state. And so he was great at stealing shit. He did it all the fucking time. Um, he, he caused problems for people. Another thing, you know, he, he in his biographies and when he talks about himself in court, just to tell people that he was like a, a real well-liked kid, which is kind of true because he's great at manipulating people. He had a lot of friends. And he would tell people that he was an athlete. He played on the football team. He, he played sports. That's not true at all. Mm-hmm. He was a, a weak weasel. Uh, he he lied. He he played with his friends. He had a lot of friends, but uh, they were all manipulative relationships. You know what I mean? Yeah, things he can get from other people. Yeah, because he he would go on to say he didn't when he was a kid and trying to make friends. Um, he would say even though he had several friends, he would tell biographers and and police officers that he was a loner as an adolescent because he didn't understand interpersonal relationships, which is a uh, you know that's psychopath shit. Yeah, he didn't know why what made people want to be friends or or what made someone a friend. He knew that in order to be a regular person, you had to have friends. Yeah, so he would have relationships with people that were completely inauthentic just to have the relationship, yeah. but not give anything back to it. So he he was well liked though because again he was manipulative. He he definitely is a big fucking pool of charisma. Yeah. Like that guy would have been a killer fucking salesman. You know what I'm well, saying? Yeah, like a lot of, a lot of sociopaths and psychopaths, they look for people they can control. It's, it's all about control for them. Right. But the, the break from reality, you know, that we're discussing is that 
he sees everybody as lesser beings and he can control them. Yeah. That's why he's trying to do all the shit he's doing. You know, it, it's all to benefit him, even if it's a minor thing, whether it's to fucking get some Legos or yep. to kill some lady and cut her vagina off. I don't fucking know. But, you know, just some weird <laughs> yeah. shit like that. Yeah, it, it, the only sport, I mean, if you whatever you would classify it as, that he actually was involved with from any length of time. Not football, but he likes to downhill ski, which was expensive. And like we were saying, this wasn't a wealthy family. Now... His grandparents had money. Like t- he had, he had a very comfortable life. Like when I when I say he was complaining about his dad not making a lot of money, he Ted would wanted to have been super rich. You know, they were well off upper middle class. They weren't struggling in any way. He could basically do whatever. But downhill skiing, super expensive hobby. You know, you had to buy a, a pass to get on this on the mountain. You had to buy uh, four lift tickets to ride up the mountain and the equipment is expensive, but not for Ted because not only did he steal everyone's equipment that he was around little pieces here and there, pieced all of his stuff together. Uh, you know, if he got a set of skis, someone's like, those look just like the skis that I had. Be like, well, yeah, they're the same ones. I liked them and I bought them here, you know, mm-hmm. just flat out lie to people's faces and get whatever he wanted. But he was also forging lift tickets. Which for a teenager is pretty fucking high level. Yeah, uh, doing a great job, so good that he could always get on the lifts. And he told his friends about it, showed them how to do it, and most of the time they would get too nervous to to follow through. But everyone knew that he was doing it. He bragged about it all the time. He got arrested two times in high school under suspicion of burglary, which means entering a property and taking mm-hmm. something, and auto theft. Uh, neither of them stick. The auto theft charge. He got convicted of, but they were both expunged when he turned 18. Yeah. Uh, and, and he never admitted to either one of them, too. He went through the full trial, served whatever community service they gave him. Never one time said, I did this. I'm sorry about it. Always stuck to nope. Didn't do anything. Uh, he graduated high school in 1965, which is when he went to the University of Puget Sound before transferring to the University of Washington in 1966, where he studied Chinese, Mandarin. Now, an important thing to say on this first episode, too, is uh, we're not getting into the murders at all right now. Mm-hmm. So the second episode, the timeline will coincide of what's going on now. But I always think it's hard to, to digest. Here's what Ted's got going on, and then here's the details of this murder. Yeah. So we're going to get through where Ted was at mentally, and then we'll go back and dissect the murders in the second episode. Uh, so he's at the University of Washington, 1966, studying Chinese. Drops out in 1967 because he became romantically involved with uh, Stephanie Brooks. And then in 1968, he just works minimum wage jobs, which he can't ever hold down for very long because he thinks he knows better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, they, this is the type of person that you hate to be around. Yeah. You've been doing this job for years, but he comes along and thinks he's smarter than you, better than you, knows what he's doing. And then he volunteered. This is right when he put on his conservative character. And it, it's the, the thing with, like, with Stephanie is that he wasn't a good boyfriend at all, but he was still completely obsessed with her. Like, he wanted to be around her all the time, but, she, you know, which is, would be flattering to a young girl. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like good attention, but he was just a shithead. Yeah. So it's like a conflicted series in relationships. Is uh, like, I, like, I, like, when I first met uh, my fucking wife, I worked, I was bouncing and working at a dentist's office. Yeah. And like, I wanted to not go to work at the dentist's office because I wanted to bounce and then f- fucking stay up and bone all night. Yeah. And not go to work. And I was like, yeah, fuck this job. Like, everyone's done stuff like that, I assume. Yeah. And I am crazy. I got no problem admitting that. Like, I do, ext- I'm extreme about everything. Yeah. So that type of thing is not abnormal for me. It was a fucking impulsive and a fucking animal. Mm. So, but like Ted Bundy, you know, he basically drops out of college to be with her. Yeah, uh, which isn't what she wants at all, and so you know, obviously that's gonna fucking be a big factor because this is one of his youngest like real relationships where things are starting to formulate in his mind. He's becoming who he is as a person, mm-hmm. and that's when he digs really deep into the uh, the um, conservative personality. Um, and so he decides that he's a, a total Republican again. This is 1968. This is when Vietnam's going on, and you have all the what we would call hippies, yeah. the counterculture protesting Vietnam. He again hates that. He, that's what I was saying. It's funny because he complains about them being troublemakers and how they go out and willfully break the law with vandalism, curfew, loitering. Mm-hmm. Those are all so insignificant compared to necrophilia, yeah. murder. 
You know, that, that just shows how far away he is. Even in the, even after he's on death row and he's talking about this, he still has a hate for yeah. the counterculture of the day. Well, the multi, the, the multi levels of, uh, psychopathy, you know, at, you know, young ages, um, usually I think between four and to 16 years old, 17 years old, uh, they would diagnose you with, um, we talked about it many times before, but, uh, um, Oh fuck! It's like an authority disorder. Um, authority defiant. Uh, anti anti or defiant, whatever it is. But they they give you that. <laughs> Doctor Bud. Yeah. Check on in. Yeah. Uh yeah. Optional you know, defiant disorder. You're That's a fucking it idiot. Is what it looks like to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, fuck. What is that called? Uh, that shit. It yeah. makes you all fucking stupid and yeah. shit. All that dumb shit you're doing. Yeah, you fucking, uh, yeah, you got that. <laughs> Pretty much. Optional defined disorder. That's what yeah. it is. And then they give you a, a second one, and I can't remember what it is before they get to psycho- like psychopathy and associated. So, so, right. You know. The ramp. Yeah. To, but they uh, didn't know how to do that. Sure. So Bundy was a prime example because he was in the eye, and that's how they were able to study people like him. Yeah, and he's gone, again, he's gone through... No therapy. Yeah. Not speaking to any mental health professionals. Because that's for pussies. That's what that shit was like back then. Yeah. And he is the type of, of guy, again, that is just makes himself fake masculine. This is what I think of. I think of this shit all the time when, uh, first of all, again, out of the social media loop, I'm out of the entire loop for the entire world. Uh, but when I hear when I hear toxic masculinity, yeah. I don't know what that actually is. I was talking about it a while back ago on fucking Facebook and it got all long and shit. Uh, but, but like I, I consider myself hyper masculine. Yeah. I mean, I lift weights every day. Yeah. I've had MMA fights. Mm-hmm. I've I bounced drink. I got two kids, you know, like I do manly as shit manly as defined by culture. Yeah. Right. What toxic masculinity seems like to me is when people try to fake it. Yeah. When they when they over emulate themselves to be super masculine, like the shit that I do is is only ever things that I'm interested in, or yeah. just the way that my, just the way my mind works. And the shit that other people do, like if they overbear themselves to make themselves look like a super manly guy, which is again, you know, the, the idea of manly is fucking stupid. It's just that like. You try to be this character. You try to overcompensate for the way you actually are. The way that you come off as like a pussy hound yeah. when you're not like no one wants to fuck you yeah. because you're a weird bitch. But when you really pour yourself into like, yeah, yeah, I'm a fucking tough guy. I go to fucking bars. I get in fights. Yeah. I fucking put on Axe Effect because fucking bring the pussy in. Because that's what I do is I fuck pussy day in and day out. Like that. That's what I assume toxic masculinity yeah. is like. And, and that's, a, you know, the person that doesn't actually do those things. But they just make an affront for themselves. That's what Ted is, yeah. you know. And I, he's not even trying to be like a ladies' man or anything. He's using it towards the politics and the things. But yeah. he's making himself the straight ladies, Christian conservative, and just overpiling and all this dumb shit. The idealism of a young Republican. Well, it's all that shit we talk about all the time. It's like you know, back in the day, whenever people like us could just take your shit, and there's nothing you could do about it. Hell yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. And then then people with money became that. You know, they could pay people like us to do their shit. Yeah. So, and really, if it's speaking of, if yeah. anyone's hiring for that position, yeah, I'm man. around. I'm broke. You know, let's, let's fucking <laughs> let us be bodyguards, man. Yeah, That'd yo. What I I know, fucking famous people listen to this shit. Listen. You reach a certain level, and you got disposable income, and you're feeling weird about people around yeah. you. Man, call me up. You need some motherfuckers that are hard to kill. We got you. Yeah, dog. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to shoot me three times. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, me. I'm gonna keep coming till you take yeah, me away, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To a special place. But I'll keep you safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get shot once, I still cover your body up. Yeah, man. We're like <laughs> fucking dogs, man. <laughs> you, were, if you're our owner, man, we'll fight to the death for you. But yeah, look at how we think. This is just what, the way yeah. it works. Yeah, <laughs> and if you fake, if you if this is an act, you look gross doing it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a funny full circle point. But yeah, so uh, just going back to Ted's young life in this relationship. Um, so he does this weird shit where he he volunteers a Seattle of uh, Nelson Rockefeller. Of yes, Rockefeller fame. Hey, Mark, can you pull up a picture of Nelson Rockefeller? Because he looks the most conservative Republican. Yeah, th- this is for YouTube. So if you want to see this shit, just pop on YouTube. Uh, man, this dude is like the most. If you pulled up a Norman Rockwell painting of a 1960s uh, fucking football coach, 
is what this guy looks like. He uh, just a super staunch Republican candidate, which was going against like the status quo of hippies. You know, he he was a get back. He was like the original Make America Great Again type of guy. Not yeah. the original, but he was like, oh, remember the fifties when shit was great. And we didn't have all these queers out here with their long hair and dirty asses making noise. He was just like that type of fucking smug. You know, what? America was good when it was all straight whites. That's when it was nice. But not actually <laughs> saying it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, that, he, that's who he was. And uh, Ted Bundy got swept in that. He went and volunteered. And then because he's a psychopath, he, of course, excels at it. He just picked team captains, but they're all men, <laughs> not women. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were strong teams. Yeah, yeah. so what happens when you... Uh, what happens with psychopaths, is if you have, if you, this is your first time listening, we talked about it before, what happens with them is that whatever they do, they're great at it. Mm-hmm. Serial murder, the best. Uh, but if that's applied, if that energy is applied to something else, then they're the best at that yeah. because they don't have any regard for anyone else. You know, it's like if you have a job and the path to the top of your job is long if you do honest work, if you're a good person, and show up for work on time and do the best job that you can for them. And uh, you don't ever brag about yourself. You don't ever step on anyone's toes. Mm-hmm. You may get a good job in the future that you can feel great about. But if you don't want to wait around and fucking get paid bullshit in the meantime, in the trenches, then you shit on people. You lie about your coworkers. You'll step on anybody to get to the top. And when you see, that's what a, like rich people always give me that vibe. Like, yeah. what did who did you fuck over to get here? Yeah, how did you end up at the top of this? Because I would guarantee how fast you did it. Uh-huh. You you stepped on some necks along the way. Well, you, I mean, you there's there's uh, studies proving that people are, that are sociopaths or psychopaths they they usually climb the corporate ladder. I mean, most CEOs, you know, usually are some degree of sociopath. Yeah, of course. So, That's what I'm saying. That's the energy you need to succeed at shit yeah. like that. Is you have to just, at a certain point if you're in charge of a large company, you have to not care about your fellow man. You look at him as like lesser than you or you get that sense like, well, you know, I'm making this decision for the greater good. Sure, 30 people might go hungry, but a, a couple of them are going to do great. And well, that's for the future. The, the person you work with, you're about to fuck over. They think that you're their friend. Yeah, of course. You, know, the- you got to be their friend to keep the reputation. But yeah, so <clears throat> he, he pours that into being a fucking volunteer for Nelson Rockefeller. And uh, he does so well, and he's, of course, free. He, get, he goes to Miami with Rockefeller's campaign in 1968, the Republican National Convention. And uh, he's doing great at that, so he has a hard time processing when his relationship with uh, fucking Miss Brooks fizzles out. Stephanie wants to get out of there because he's changed his whole life into this. Mm-hmm. He's an asshole, short-tempered, not the right guy for her. He's obsessive. And, of course, you know, psychiatrists would say that this, this time in his life, as we all know, when you're a young adult and you're in your first serious relationship, is a pivotal time it's a moment where you're going to be defined by how you come out of this relationship do you freak out Mm. do you understand that that's the way life works people aren't together all the time yeah uh you know relationships come and go You, you eventually will meet somebody that you can spend your life with but there's only one way to find it you know what i'm saying yeah you gotta you gotta get in you gotta get in the in the battle to win the war you know you gotta get your hands dirty so of course bundy being who he is and obsessed with the whole thing is destroyed, destroyed by the relationship. Uh, he he fucking leaves. He goes to Colorado and they spend some time in Arkansas, our home state, to visit his relatives and to fucking Philadelphia over there. Mm. Yeah, I gotta go ride my motorcycle. Is that that's uh, that was a little more Canadian. What is it? What's a, what's like a Philadelphia Baltimore? I get on my motorcycle and go over there and see the other. Boondies that I've been knowing. You know what they call a pussy? Yeah. A Philly please steak. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah, I like to snack. I like to go over there to Lumal Nudies. Ch- 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 please steak. Yeah, if I could slice me up a couple of those there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he, to, to finally settle into something else, he ends up enrolling into Temple University, which, big surprise, that only works out for a semester. He has a complete meltdown because he has to visit the office of birth records in nearby Burlington 
to to get the documents to Temple University, and that's when he finds out in his twenties after going through a traumatic break, which would it's traumatic for him, uh, going through a traumatic breakup, he finds out that his his grandfather was his legal guardian. He mm. finds out that he doesn't know who his dad is for sure. He sees his name on his birth certificate. Now he's got a lot of questions for his mom. And in 1969, uh, he meets this lady named Elizabeth. He calls her Clough, that's a fake name. And then when they ask money to go back, he's like, ah, Meg Anders, Beth Archer, Liz Kendall, it's one of them. Mm. So, he, again, somebody that he's completely obsessed with, but he doesn't even come up with their full name. Yeah. When he, and it calls her several different names throughout all his interviews. <clears throat> now, she, uh, this shit's scary because she's a divorcee for Ogden, Utah. She's a secretary at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She's got a child. Yeah. And Ted Bundy's around. And she even said, hey, um, Ted was good with her. He liked her. He, you know, played with her, mm. made her feel included. Uh, no complaints about the way Ted was with with the child, but he was starting to become really abusive. You know, having violent yeah. sex with her and just wanting wanting things that uh, I mean, like you know, okay. So we, I was saying that I don't understand porn addiction. Hmm. I didn't grow up in the sixties. I don't know shit about it. This is all my perception. But in days gone by. I, I feel like today, because we've had so much access to just picking up our porn and seeing whatever type of weird fucking you want yeah. for free, that uh, people fuck crazier now. Oh, yeah. Like, people are just, you know... Uh, I can, Okay, so I can remember um, the first time that I licked someone's asshole, yeah. for example. They were fucking mortified by that. Yeah. They were like, what are you doing? It's like eating your ass. And they were like, don't do that. It's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> I thought you would like it. They're like, no, I shit from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, that's that. There's songs on the radio about eating ass now. Yeah. It's yeah, sort of regular yeah. shit. So I would imagine going back to like the 1960s. I mean, we're at the 70s now, but I, I got a feeling that no one's into a doing a fucking mock rape. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that that doesn't seem like I don't know, man. I mean that Okay, okay, well, they might be into it. They might be into it, but I got a feeling that that um again, she's a divorcee. Mm. She's got a child. Uh, so she was married young and early. I don't feel like I have no I don't know much about this lady. But I no, I assume being in Utah and married that nobody introduced her to the idea of rape role play. No. Or or sadomasochism. But she could have been looked down for being a single mother too, you know, and there's a guy that's just being nice to her kid. And, yeah. and for him, you know, it's probably not hard to be nice to a kid because Oh uh, well well let me say this. Yeah. She was beautiful. Yeah. Hey, uh hey Mark, for you two, would you pull up a picture of her? Uh look up uh look up Elizabeth Klopfer. I've got a feeling it's a uh, last name is K L O E P F E R. Yeah, it's a picture of her. Like, dude, she's fucking beautiful, man. Like, that's a, you know, like, look at what a fucking freak Ted Bundy is. Yeah. We're pulling up on YouTube. Mark's pulling up a picture. Like, that's a good-looking lady. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, but again, people think that Ted Bundy's attractive, and he's also a slick motherfucker. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's he lies to her a lot, too. Um, he he drops out of Temple University, and he, he basically tells her he's still going to school uh, he's still work, like he's got all these goals that he's working on. He's not doing any of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, th- 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 all right. So th- this is around the time um, that it when when we're going back, when he says his first kidnapping happened in Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, he's also said that he killed two women in Atlantic City in 1969, which we'll get into. But, you know, the, the thing with Bundy is he lies so much. Like some people think that Ted Bundy could have killed well over a hundred women. Mm-hmm. Again, he never admitted to it. He basically, for sure, killed thirty something. Yeah. He, uh, but you, you know, you don't know. You don't know because he doesn't know. Yeah. Like I said, I think he turned off so much he doesn't even know what the fuck he did. Uh, and so we'll get back to this in the in the ramp up to murder on the next episode. Uh, this relationship lasts past um, when he gets arrested in 1976. Uh, during the early and mid 70s, Bundy became. 
more focused, more goal-oriented. He went back to the University of Washington as a psychology major this time, uh, which is what he wanted to do is, like, understand how people work, which seems like a psychopath thing to do. Yeah. Uh, while he's doing this, he works at Seattle's Suicide Hotline Crisis Center starting in 1971, and he works alongside Ann Rule, who is a former cop and aspiring true crime writer who would end up writing his biography. Uh, it's a great book. It rips. Uh, it's The Stranger Beside Me. It's a like basically the way that true crime novels are written now are following this blueprint. Um, he's, he's committed another murder around this time. Graduates in 1972. Joins Governor Daniel J. Evans' re-election campaign. Volunteering again. They love him. He kills someone else that year. He poses as a college student uh, to and, and, and followed around like he is a college student, but he basically pretends to be a, a college student. Um, he's part of Governor Albert Rosalini's campaign, fake, on because he's on Team Evans. Rosalini is his running mate. He pretends to be on the other team to shadow the guy to give information back to Evans. And he recorded and practiced speeches for Evans' team to analyze and combat. So he was a fucking volunteer going to these links to find out about Rosalini's speeches, to feed them back to Evans so that he could be... And they loved it. They loved it. They're like, yo, you're the fucking man, dude. Like, now we know what he's going to say. We know how to destroy his speeches. They love that shit. Uh, After his work on that, he's hired by Ross Davis who is the chairman of the Washington State Republican Party. Now, he says about Ted Bundy, smart, aggressive, and a believer in the system. Yeah. That's the system. Yeah. Cheating. Yeah. And that's that they love it. Yeah. Uh, Early 1973, uh, Bundy applies and gets accepted into the University of Utah despite having an average LSAT, which is law school admissions test scores. Uh, commits another murder this year. So, I mean, he, he basically up to five murders at this yeah. point. Uh, Evan Davis gives him a big recommendation, of course, and some of his former professors get him in. I mean, look, he's tied in with the chairman of the of the Washington State Republican Party, who says he's fucking awesome. So he's able to sneak in law school because of that. 1973, he takes a trip to California for official Republican business. He... Runs into Stephanie Brooks out there. Mm. Starts fiddling her fucking cat tree again. (laughs) And uh, she sees him out here as a law school student. He's turned his life around. He's committed to something. He's clean. He's, uh, you know, again, great guy. He's totally changed his life around. Look, it's the same guy. That's just sociopath shit. Yep. She's a, he's able to convince somebody who knew him probably better than anybody else at that time that he's a completely different person. Because he was. Mm-hmm. Because he was. Uh, Bundy does pretty good in law school, uh, well enough to matriculate, which is like if you want to transfer because your grades are so good, you like you want to go to a better school, that they're going to give you like scholarship to write on. Uh, so he goes to the University of Puget Sound in Seattle. Now he's dating Brooks again, and he's flying back and forth from Seattle to California. And they're talking about getting married to each other. The fall of 1973, and and he's still, again, he's also still seeing Elizabeth Cloffer. Two relationships. Now it takes, again, you could, like today it would be way harder to do. Yeah. Um, back then, easy to go from relationship to relationship because there's no way like you can't follow people on social media you don't like it doesn't say oh I'm in a relationship with this person and they can be easily contacted by the outside world and shit so easier to do but it still takes a person of a fucking certain type of mind to feel comfortable with doing things like that um 1973 he just cuts her off never contacts her again no return phone calls no return letters uh, a month later Brooks gets a hold of Bundy and asks him what's going on. And then uh, just calm and cold says, Stephanie, you have no idea what you're talking about. Hangs up on her. She never hears from him again. And uh, what Bundy says about it is that he wanted to prove to himself that he could have married her. So the reason that he started dating her again and went to find her again is just so he could prove Mm -hmm. 
that when she left him, it wasn't really over. Yeah. It's over on Bundy's terms. Yep. He could have married her then if he wanted to. Yeah. But it all fell apart because Ted didn't want it to, even though she left him. He had to have that victory in his mind. He couldn't look back on that relationship and say, yeah, we went our separate ways. He looked at it as, I'm not going to lose. I'm going to win. That's the highest level besides murder and rape of psychopath shit I could ever think of. That's insane. She's lucky. Oh, for sure. If it was on her terms, he would make it. And he already killed people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Just imagine just fucking finding out that the guy you've been fucking has been stuffing his dick in dead bodies and then he stuffs it in your body. Fuck. Correct. That's rough. Very rough. (laughs) (laughs) And now, of course, like a good psychopath with all this shit going on, Bundy's fucking law school entirely. He's skipped so many classes. He just has to, again, he's not going to face the music and go to school and deal with like a proper withdrawal. He just cuts off all contact, drops out uh, in April. Um, Now, you know, I'm sure everyone knows by now that he got away with murder for an incredibly long amount of time. Do you think that he, like, fucking had sex dick from a dead body and one of those girls sucked it? <laughs> dude, that happened terrible. for sure, dude. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a point where he went, like, once this thing takes over his entire life, yeah. there's got, you know, there's points where he... It had to have done things like that. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's such a high volume of traffic yeah, going it's on. It's a sexual deviancy. It's fucking. Yeah. I was going to say finest, but it's not. Yeah. And he, I mean, man, he fucking. His old sex pickle just fucking. He never, like, he never really had a, ever a big dormant time. Yeah. Like, we, again, we, we, me and you like to get to the, figure out patterns, like what drives people. Yeah. Once he started going, man, he just kept on going, yeah. dude. Uh, and because he felt like he was invincible. Well, it was a compulsion. If, yeah, there was a compulsion. But he also felt like he had a superpower. He felt that he was so much better than people. No one was ever going to be smart enough to put it together now. Or, or Again, around this time in the news, women close to where he lives in the Pacific Northwest start disappearing. Uh, you know, there's a lady that works at a, a news station. We're going to get more. We'll get into the specifics of the murders in the next episode, like I said. But it's starting to get fucking weird. And on top of that, while that's happening, he's the assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. This motherfucker writes a pamphlet, which for whatever reason, uh, a 20-something-year-old man would write this anyway. seems insane to me. But I guess, you know, that is fucking white man toxic masculinity. In the 70s, for sure. He writes a pamphlet for women on rape prevention. Oh, yeah. And it's cold because if you, you can go back and look at it, it's all about things that he would do. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. He's, he's giving defense for himself. Uh, his earliest documented homicides start in 1974 when he's 27 years old. But like I was saying... Um, speculated through these murders did happen. He was in the area and he's never, he doesn't ever admit to anything. He claims that he did more. He claims that he did less, but he never claims it personally. Like there's no, there's no tying him down on, on anything in particular. So very interesting. It makes total sense to me to just watch the ramp of where he's going right yeah. now. Uh, and like next week we're diving head in on the murders, but th- this is where he is in, in my, the murders that I brought up are all speculatory, but more than likely did happen. And we'll find out why next week. And then we'll get into the meat of, like I said, he never had a cool off period mm-hmm. of, of what he did, where he went, how he did it, who he did it to, and how he got caught. Yeah. And that old fucking stinky old nasty sex dick. Just fucking <laughs> necro dick, dude. Necro dick. Necro sex dick. That's a great porno grind band name. Yeah, man. Necro sex dick. Now, if you're new to death metal dicks or you're a long-time listener, you'll find out or you already know that what we do is take terrible true crimes or paranormal events. We link it up with a song that we think describes the situation. This one was pretty easy. We went with... Coven. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Uh, Coven is a thrash band. Yeah. I don't know where from. It's just your standard thrash. You know, in the 80s, people were fucking pumping out thrash records and... Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of a. This was a new one to me. I enjoy it, man. It's actually a really good song. So, 
But yeah, we fucking got Ted Bundy. Yep. Fucking slinging sex dick, and we got Coven. Sex dick. Ted Bundy tunes. <laughs> so yeah, we're glad you're here along for the ride with us. We'll do part two next week. Then we're going to have a special middle episode because our producer will be out of town. Then we'll close it off with a culmination of part three, which uh, all the murders are crazy, you know. So if you got gross factors, next week ain't the one for you, my guy. But if you want to be sick to sit around with the boys next week and we'll get into some violent stuff. Hope you enjoyed part one and you have a good sense. Um, If you haven't gotten caught up in the documentary mania or, you, you know, you got our take on it of where Ted Bundy is mentally when he starts murdering. Yeah. All right, we'll fucking see ya. Guys, for part two. Oh, yeah, shout-outs and shit. Uh, hey, let me shout myself out. First of all, uh, if you like this podcast, I've started doing another one called You're Not Core, uh, which is a funny play on how people involved in hardcore and the straight-edge culture say, if you're not now, you never were. So it's a catchy name, and it's me and my friend Jerry. Jerry is like a unofficial hardcore historian it's an interesting genre of music lots of silly things happen so every week we sit down with one seminal hardcore record and dissect it and basically you know me now the same type of dumbass fucking riffing i do and J- jerry does all the research for that so i'm just fucking basically off the cuff on that one yeah. being a silly bitch so yeah check it out it's you're not core uh it's spelled out we got an Instagram going right now, and uh, we're on iTunes. So if you don't want to listen, you can give it a five-star review. That's cool. If you like our podcast and you haven't yet, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps us out in the long haul of things. Um, all the re- people that have reviewed before, we sure appreciate the hell out of you for doing that for us. Um, if you want to get more involved with the podcast, you can get on Patreon, patreon.com backslash death metal dicks. And uh, we fucking shout out all the people that have helped us out with that. We finally got our t-shirt shit taken care of. Yep. You can go to warlordclothing.com, right? Yep. You can get a t-shirt with either of our logos on it for 13 bucks. Yeah. You can get tank tops. Yeah. You I can... think tank tops are on the same price. You can get a fucking hoodie. And this is high quality garments. Yeah. Their shit's nice. Yeah. But yeah, you could get a hoodie for 25 bucks with our either one of our logos on it. So, yo, I mean, girl um, shirts, they got it all, man. Th- yeah, but th- that's why we went with them. Um uh, you you buy it from them, they'll ship it to you. You could get, you know, whatever size, whatever cut, whatever style of sh- of of top, long long sleeve crew neck hoodie, whatever. They got you covered at a great price. Yeah. And they'll ship it out to you. If you're a patron that's been doing the fucking 20 bucks a month, you know, you know we got you taken care of. Uh, buddy's going to reach out to you within the next week and get your size and address. And then I will, I'll get all your shirts. I'll pay for them all. Well, I mean, you know, you helped us out. So we'll get them for you from, from warlord and they'll be sent to me and I'll mail them out to you. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're we're slow going in this shit, but we're we're getting it done, and uh, we're, we love you for being a patron, whether you're doing that or not. Just being around is fucking awesome. And, and listen, guys, I mean, if you order a shirt from there, they're fast. Like if they they print the shirts. I think as soon as you order it, yeah, and then they send it out. I've gotten a couple shirts from them that are real. They're fucking badass or high yeah. quality for a great price. So it's yeah, the it's dudes good in the shit. in the band phobia. So you know you're dealing with. A similar type of person. It's a DIY business. That we, you know, we felt very comfortable getting involved with them because of the ethics that they have. Yeah. So, you know, we wouldn't like. Well, I can't tell you how much shit we've turned down on all fronts because I don't. I I don't agree with the product, and this is uh, something that we like. So we're we're with them, and uh, I'd love for you guys to get a shirt, take a fucking picture in it. Um, you know, just support us. Like we, we, we got it. And we also have it to where we're not really making shit on the shirts. I mean, we just want you guys to get the clothes yeah. and fucking, you know, support the podcast and, and like, and I, they look cool shit too. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a win for everybody. So yeah, warlordclothing.com Just search death metal dicks. You'll find our shit there. And I, I was just fucking going to go through like all the fucking patrons that have helped us out over. Cause it rules Jennifer Vale, Jeffrey Ross, the Bradshaw family have been fucking awesome. Of course, Bobby Henderson around from the very get-go. All these people are old-school fans. We love you guys, and thank you so much for that, as always. Sam Talent, Brian Wiley, 
uh, fucking Lacey Doyle, Lacey Doyle, Matt Mess, uh, Will Claiborne, Jesse Lucian, uh, Ash Rude, Patrick Wilding, uh, Andrew Alejandro Palomino, Megan Beckham, Clayton Haynes, uh, Alien Invasion Deaths. Invasion defense system. Defense system. What the fuck? It's yeah. I, it's eights. That's cool as shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Emma Long, um, Ronald D. Squire, the third man. Fucking you know. I mean, we fucking we're slow as shit. We suck at everything. And uh, you guys just like the podcast so much. You've been riding with us. Thank you a fucking ton yeah. for that. Shirts are coming, and uh, just people believing in us gives us the fuel to keep going. And we believe in you. In our, in our Facebook group, which is easy to join, you just get on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash death metal dicks. Click on add to the group. We'll add you away. Yeah, there's like four people on there this week that have lost over 30 pounds. Yeah. That, uh, funny enough, attributes to us. I look good, but you're a fucking slob. Yeah, I mean. And so. I'm oh, like fat uh, buff dude, right being, now. Uh, yeah, yeah, being motivated. Like, that. that's awesome because, you know, yeah. um, everyone needs a fucking kickstart. We're not fitness models no um but we work hard in a lot of aspects and for me personally um being physical you know i wasn't fucking a combat athlete and then got burnt on it wanted to take a break and that ended up turning into like three or four years of just being a slob drinking all the time eating all the time sitting around and jacking off not doing anything physically and uh, my back hurt, my knees hurt, I was having a hard time sleeping, I felt like shit, and I needed to do something to change, and I got into lifting weights, and uh, it, it, uh, it's completely turned around me physically, yeah. in, in the sense that my back doesn't fucking hurt anymore, I'm able to get good sleep at night, which that changed me mentally, because getting you know a lot of rest just clarifies the way your brain works. And I'm telling you now, like um, we're, we're kind of meatheads, but nothing like the normal person who's going to yeah. tell you to work out. Like dude, resistance training, it, it, I fucking I implore you to at least lightly get into it at some point in your life because, I mean, you slow down aging. Just all the shit. Like forget all the fucking about what you look like, your yeah. size, how you're presented. Forget all that shit. It's you, about you, overall health, man. You, well, you fucking feel a yeah. million times better. So. I mean, I've got severe back issues. Yeah. And, and since we've been doing lifting weights, man, it's made things uh, way better for me. It didn't take me 30 minutes to get out of bed. And, yeah. you know, my cup size and my tits went down. <laughs> yeah. And you just kind of, it gives you more of a, like a energy boost. Like you, you can attack the day, you know, just because you're like, man, later on I'm going to go hit the gym. And when, sometimes you don't feel like doing it. Yeah. And you just go in there and you fucking do it. And then... Yeah. Everything else seems easier after that. We've always been proponents of, like, if you have something that makes you feel good, go after it full bore. Love yourself. Make yourself happy. Find anything that makes you feel good. And uh, if we could nudge you towards it being something physical, then awesome. And if it's something artistic or mental, we fucking encourage that, too. Because, uh, you know, we fucking distance ourselves a little bit from Satanism. Because there's a lot of dork shit going on here yeah. lately. But however... The main tenets that I for sure 100%, no matter, it doesn't have to be labeled as anything, but uh, you got to worship the flesh. Yeah, man. Uh, believe in yourself. Take take care of your impulses and your desires. And uh, that, that, if you're a good person, will just transpire into enriching everyone around you. So keep that fucking train a-rolling. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Boop. Boop.